0: The NetBank Business Accelerator has been guiding entrepreneurs to build future-proof businesses beyond climate change, beyond the technology curve, beyond external forces. Thank you for joining me, Pavlo Fatidis, on this series of podcasts. We are looking at how you scale a business. And specifically, we're going to be looking at how you scale a business that's product-driven. Building products that can be exported is no mean feat. We're at the bottom end of Africa, and in those foreign markets that we typically export to, we face levels of competition that are eye-watering. But that's exactly what Greg Gallagher, founder of Snooze International, and his team, have achieved and gotten right. Their product, which is becoming a world leader in smart child sleep monitors, has grown from a humble idea to selling over hundreds of thousands of products both in the EU and in the USA. Greg, thank you for finding the time to join me on this podcast. That's a pleasure. From when I last spoke to you, I recall you had made some inroads into the South African market. You were in the early stages of the US market. You were about to endure an approximate four-year journey of accreditation to get Snoozer classified as a medical device in the EU market to open up. Where are we today? How many have we sold? How many countries are we in?
1: And Pavlo, we are currently in 62 countries. The main export market is now the US. It's about 55% of our markets. And Europe, we are in about 15 different countries in Europe. And we are in Far East Asia. We are in Australasia. So that covers the main territories. We're selling at approximately 30 to 40,000 units a year, and we have sold to date 400,000 units across the world.
0: Wow, Greg, that is a huge number. Where is the manufacturing process done for this particular product?
1: It is currently done at a contract manufacturer in Somerset West. For a number of years, we had half of the process in-house, but uh, it actually got a little bit too big for us, and we ended up finding that we were focusing on manufacturing rather than design and development. So we we made a decision that we would outsource it 100%. So that's where we are now.
0: And Greg, so you found in South Africa a manufacturer that can manufacture to world-class standards to compete with the best sleep monitors and baby monitors out there in the US and in the EU?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The nature of the electronics uh, manufacturing business is it's highly automated. It's very sophisticated pick-and-place machines and there's very little human intervention, actually. So, you know, the, the biggest challenge is actually on the design stage. So you just got to make sure that the design is up to standard. And, you know, we've, we've been through a, a long process of ensuring this so just from the manufacturing point of view it's very achievable any you know any small country as long as they've got the right equipment they can do it.
0: Greg I would imagine when you first started the business and you built the very first monitor you were selling exclusively at that point in time into the South African market is that right?
1: It is right we we originally started off just selling in South Africa it was a little bit of a test market for us South Africa we are quite forgiving people we weren't selling big volumes so It was quite easy for us to make mistakes and uh, not destroy our business entirely. So after selling in the South African market for not very long, less than six months, we then decided to take it uh, to Europe and America. How many
0: product iterations did you go through, Greg, in that six-month period in selling to South Africa?
1: We probably went through, I would say, four or five. But you just need to bear in mind that leading up to that, you know, to get the product to markets, we probably went through 50 iterations. A lot of the iterations are, uh, it's a very quick turnaround time at the the beginning. So you would produce a unit, find something's wrong, reproduce it. And and that cycle slowly uh, lengthens over time. So the number of cycles, you do become less and less. So by the time we hit the market in that six month period, we did about five units as as far as my memory goes.
0: And when you went eventually into the US, did you find a completely different Market opportunity over there? Do people want different features, want different look and feel? They certainly would have required different packaging, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah, it did. It required different packaging. Funny enough, the Americans actually preferred the product over the South Africans. We, we did struggle to get the concept accepted in South Africa. The Americans absolutely loved it. From a packaging and a, a marking point of view, there was a bit of a learning process. And we have had products stop because we haven't had the right marking on them before. So it's all part of the learning process, but uh, you know, quick iteration and you can make a change and get it accepted.
0: Greg, when you went into the States with that particular product, you obviously faced a different level of competition and a different type of competition. What was that like?
1: We were quite fortunate in that the product itself was quite novel. It, you know, there weren't any portable breathing monitors on the market. So there were very well entrenched businesses. Angel Care is the most well known. So it was quite easy in that we weren't competing directly with anyone. Um, and if anything, we were taking some market share away from the big players. So we found it. Yeah, reasonably easy. We were approached by the big guys too. They did try and buy our technology at one point. So you know, we knew we had disrupted them. So um, I think it was, it definitely was uh, an easier road than it could have been.
0: Did you find the American consumer more responsive and more, let's say, aggressive in coming back to you with what they wanted, what worked, what didn't work? Did you find them yeah. a better test bed to? Lift your game and build the product slightly differently and tweak it slightly differently
1: they're definitely more demanding. They are not scared at all to contact you, to get on Facebook, complain. So, you know, we knew that they were like it. So when we originally launched in South Africa, we made a couple of mistakes. And I think if we had made those mistakes when we'd launched in America, it could have actually dragged us down. So although the Americans do say what they want, they're also unforgiving. You know, if the product doesn't work or if anything's wrong with it, whatsoever, they'll complain to everybody, tell all their friends and they'll return the product. And you can find yourself out of the market very quickly if you don't have your product well better and tested by the time you do hit the US market. So Greg,
0: when you started this business, I can imagine every time you had to iterate the product, every time you had to make yet another improvement on it, yet another change on it, 50 iterations before you began, at least five iterations in South Africa, then a subsequent number of iterations in the US, and that's before you even got into the EU. You must have thought no. as the business owner, wow, am I sinking more and more and more money into something that's ever going to achieve its final end or not? How did you deal with that just psychologically? And how did you deal with that in terms of your team?
1: You know, even even now, it's a continual improvement. The design is never settled. So there is competition and you do need to make sure that you are always updating it, always looking at what's in the future, what are people going to want? Doing these very small updates along the way, just to keep it current, it is a daunting exercise, and it can be quite depressing, actually, because you know you do end up pouring so much of your time and money and energy into this uh, into this device, but. The tutors that we were selling, and the market was accepting it more and more. And you know, we made a few mistakes along the way, but we then very quickly corrected them, and that saw us gain the traction that we needed to be able to keep putting money into the uh, development and the changes and all the other things that are required as you kind of scale up the business.
0: But Greg, it also must have taken an absolute hard-headedness, an idea that I want to win with this, I want to make it a great product, I'm not going to stop until I achieve what I want to achieve. And those goals constantly move further and further and further away as you suddenly find success because the goals by by definition with success get bigger and bigger and bigger.
1: Yeah, it is true. It does become this monster that grows at a rate that if you don't control it, it, it can very quickly get out of control. So we were fortunate, you know, we've managed to grow at a pace where we have kept things under control only just. But I think we've been fortunate in being able to keep it under control.
0: You've opened up Europe and you opened up Europe, what, um, a, a year or so ago after, four year Patient wait for medical device accreditation. How's that market received the product and how do they respond in terms of the product and the packaging and the offer that you've enjoyed the benefit of learning from the States?
1: It's responded well. We're the only certified medical device or portable breathing monitor medical device in Europe. So we have got a very distinct advantage over any other manufacturer in the world. There are actually only two other manufacturers and they're not portable. So they're the under mattress type of monitors. So we do have a very clean market that we can go into and we don't have to fight our way to try and get noticed. But it is a big challenge to get the distributors to, because really they're changing focus from the traditional breathing monitors that they would sell to the, the consumers and bricks and mortars and so on. But now there's an opportunity to get involved in the, uh, the medical device fraternity or the medical fraternity, so, you know, maple wards, uh, pediatricians, and so on. So there's a whole new opportunity that some of the, um, our distributors are really getting involved in, and we're seeing a huge amount of growth on that front. But there are other markets in Europe where they are, let's say, less active, And there is opportunity, a lot more opportunity for them to grow. So it is a really exciting market for us. There is a huge amount of opportunity and we are bringing in new products. So we do expect to see further growth.
0: And Greg, I have no doubt now with that accreditation that you have, which has been patiently won. And along with the fact that you're going to be going through a completely different distribution channel there, you are going to become a buyout target for somebody, someone who's saying he's done the hard yards, he's made the investment, he's created, let's call it barriers to entry around himself through all the accreditations, the multiple awards you've won, the over 350 to 400 odd thousand parents out there who've enjoyed the benefit of the product. Have you been approached yet?
1: Um, Yeah, I mentioned we were approached by a company called Angel Care about three years ago. We didn't accept the offer. The fact that we actually caught their attention, I think, was enough evidence that our technology was advanced and superior to theirs. And in fact, they acknowledged that. So we felt that we were really in a strong position to make a big difference in the market and to really challenge them or to take on their market share. So we have been approached. I think we might be approaching the future. But quite honestly, I'm not in the market of selling. I mean, I've put my blood, sweat and tears into this business. And I feel that there's a lot that we can offer our customers. And there's a lot that we've got in the pipeline. There's, there's future growth. And, you know, we've got a great vision. So, you know, I'm not going to sell. I'm not going to sell out. I think I'm in, a, I'm in here for the long run.
0: I certainly hope you are. If you were to reflect back just to end off, on the one thing you could have done differently that would have saved you a lot of angst, pain and cost that other product developers could benefit from. What's the one thing that you wish you knew before you did it that cost you money, that cost you time, that cost you angst, that could have been avoided?
1: That is a, a very difficult question because it's not just one thing. It is across the board. You know, we've learned so much along the way. And if I had to go back and do it differently, I mean, I would do it totally differently. And you know, I'm glad we are where we are now. And I think we would have ended up being at the same point. But if there was one thing that I would say, one mistake, I would say that it's trying to bring in-house too many skills and not outsourcing them. And I say that because I mentioned we bought a portion of our manufacturing in-house and it completely distracted us from our business. So we were yeah focused on manufacturing and we could have actually just rather taken that away from the beginning, outsourced it entirely. It would have cost us a little bit more, but we would have gained so much more in terms of the time that then we could focus on our
0: core business. Greg, thank you very much for that. There we have it. It takes guts, it takes deep commitment to build a product-based business. The number of times you've got to break and rebuild your original designs, your original ideas takes enormous courage. The takeaways over here are simple. In other words, keep it simple, stick to your knitting, choose great partners and whatever you do, don't stop riding the tiger because the moment you do, you will be eaten up by your American, European, or other competitors. Thank you for joining me. I'm Pavlo Fatidis. Business Beyond, brought to you by Nidbank. See money differently.